the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Welcome to The Firing Line with Philip Naiman. The Firing Line radio show is brought to you by Bullseye Sports in Riverside, the Riverside Indoor Shooting Range, CCW Safe, Cutting Edge Bullets, Prado Olympic Shooting Park in Chino, Vortex Optics, Vortex, the force of optics, and by Philip Naiman and Cornerstone Christian Wealth Management. And now your host, Philip Naiman. Good. Bad. I'm the guy with the gun. Hello, folks. Welcome to another edition of Firing Line Radio Show. This is Philip Naiman coming to you on a fantastic Saturday. And this is this style today is one of my favorite styles of shows. I just love to interview great guests with great stories and sit back and let them do it. So I'm going to get right to that for you, folks. Uh, those of you who are out here in Southern California, you will know this company by heart. Um, if you're in law enforcement, you've run into them quite a bit. If you've been a listener of the show, you'll re- recognize one of my favorite returning guests. And let me introduce them to you now, folks. Up front, I have Neil Perkins. Neil Perkins is the founder of Safariland. Safariland, the great manufacturers of safety and protective gear, saving lives uh, one one bad guy at a time. Pretty, pretty much the way that works. Yeah. Also, I have Lou Misterly, folks. Lou Misterly is a Weatherby Hunting Award, Safari Club, all the all the highest levels. Great friend of mine. I've known him for almost Lou. It's almost been twenty years we met. Husband. Yeah. Uh, so you were what thirty? I was ten. Yeah, I was, <laughs> yeah, I was fifteen. <laughs> uh, on my left leg. <laughs> yeah, my last surgery was fifteen. I had fifteen years of my last surgery. Lou, Lou Misterly, yeah. he's calling in here, folks. He lives out of state now. Um, kind of seems to be a a common thing as people are leaving the state of California. But he'll be talking about some of his great adventures. We shared some before, but it's just. They're just amazing, so I want to make sure we, we share them again. So let me start off here with, with Neil. Neil, founder of Safariland, where and how did this begin? Okay. Well, from the time that um, that I can remember, my father was a very avid sportsman and shooter and hunter, and, and um, I used to drag along with him. And um, by the time I was 18, uh, we had traveled the world. And in one uh, in 1955, I went around the world and went to Africa hunting with him at a place called Safariland. So that's kind of a where the name came from for the company. Because when I started, the products I was making were for sportsmen, primarily out of leather. And then uh, very early in the game, uh, one of the holsters I invented was a was a security holster. It kind of prevented someone from taking your gun away. It was very secure. And uh, so all of a sudden, the direction of the company went toward law enforcement, and that's kind of what we do now. We're the largest manufacturer of law enforcement equipment in the world of all types now. Of all types, everything <clears throat> from from bulletproof vests, holsters, duty gear, batons. Yeah, forensics. Um, forensics, yeah. And less than lethal, a tear gas, uh, 
virtually anything you can think of that is that is non-offensive. So less than lethal, can a civilian own like a beanbag shotgun? That's a good question. Um, I don't think there's anything legal about buying that, uh, illegal about buying that sort of thing, but it's tough to get. Normally you have to go through police distributorship and and they ask a lot of questions when you go in there, so people are not comfortable with going into police distributors. <laughs> but unless they're in law enforcement. I just think that'd be fun. Yeah, well. <laughs> Get off my lawn. Yeah. Quickly. <laughs> it could be great, you know. I think we should probably be stocking those around here. Bean bags. Uh, what are the other less than lethal? Well, tear gas would be the most common one. Flashbangs. That's, that's too messy. Flashbangs are good. Yeah. But you can't buy a flashbang. Just anything you would want to have less lethal protection to, so you're not having to shoot somebody or kill somebody. Just uh, and, and so the other the other thing is, Safariland has grown. Um, you've been in or sold the company, bought the back, and, and lots of different ownership changes. Yeah. But um, really grown into the law enforcement and the holster side. But other lines of for the shooting industries, like Cleanboard, didn't you guys buy? Yes, yes, we own Cleanboard. Um, there's quite a list. I've got a list here of the items that we do manufacture and, and companies that we own. We own about 30 other companies. Mm-hmm. Uh, so Freyland itself manufactures the body armor and all the duty gear accessories, holsters, belts, and equipment. But everything else uh, has come from acquisition. Um, I can list a few of these for you so sure. you give some idea. I mean, there's, uh, a, there's a huge depth here, folks. Yeah, we, we own... Um, American Body Armor, we own Second Chance, we own Savvy, ProTech, um, Bianchi, uh, Defense Technology, Hatch, um, CleanBore, SpeedFeed, EviPro, B-Square, just yeah. on and on. And B-Square, too. Yeah. Interesting. So, Bianchi, one of the things that um, you guys hooked up pretty early on with, with Bianchi, um, another maker of, of great leather goods. Yes. Actually, that's the beginning of the story with Safariland, with John Bianchi. Uh, my dad was going to Africa in 1955, and uh, he wanted a no, no, it wasn't 50. Yeah, it was about 53. I think he was going, and uh, he the, wanted the good old a, days. Yeah, he wanted a really special rig to carry his K22 and a bunch of different ammunition on it, and very custom rig. So he had called me and asked me to have that done for him. And of course, I knew nothing about that. And trying to find somebody to make that, I ran into John Bianchi, who was a police officer in Monrovia. And John and I, in in the designing and and manufacturing of this rig for my dad, became friends. And then I saw what he was doing, a little custom leather thing he was doing in his garage. And so John and I decided to form a partnership, and uh, we named it Safariland because of my, my trip to Africa. That was in 1964 when that happened, and uh, we were together about a year, and then we were both entrepreneurial types and started butting heads just because of that, not because we were either one of those bad guys or good guys, just that, and we decided to split up, and I really enjoyed what we had done, and so I started Safari Land from scratch at that point, <clears throat> because up to then it was John's products. Right. So everything that I that I came up with were was new and different, and and kind of non-conventional, and it caught on. And we, we invented this uh, security holster, which became the, law, the, the Safari Land label, really, and what led us into the law enforcement area. 
And one of the other things uh, we talked about on before on all of your holsters, which really is the number one thing Farland's known for, you have some kind of a retention device. Yes. Yes. Uh, we have some very, very sophisticated devices built into the holster. Typically, they, they lock onto the ejector port or uh, trigger guard, uh, but primarily ejector ports. And it's, so it's an internal lock that only the wearer is able to, to access. That's the secret to it, really, is that you need to be able to approach the gun from just the wearer's perspective. Mm-hmm. Anything else, it will cause the gun to lock up. And so even on some of the concealed weapon stuff, they have an internal lock, which I think is great because a lot of guys, we just talked about this last week, you know, if if you have to go hands-on and draw your weapon or somebody's fighting you for your gun or they saw that you're carrying a gun, man, you need a, a holster like that. These these open-top, taco-sided holsters are not safety for you. Number one, in the struggle, they could sim- your gun could fall out. That's right. Number two, the guy could just simply pull it out, and, and then you have major issues, right? So some on on those, you even have retention, whether it's just a spring around the trigger guard or... Typically, it's, it's, it's a device that automatically locks just by putting a gun in the holster. And in order to unlock it, what we try to accomplish, and we do in 90% of the time, is just getting a shooting grip on the gun, which, again, is impossible for someone else because of their angle. Unless they're, yeah. When you just get a shooting grip on the gun, that discharges, it takes the lock off, and the gun can easily be removed. Yeah. So, folks, check Say those. Uh, yeah. <clears throat> Go ahead, Lou. Uh, Neil, on the uh, staying staying on the uh, lethal concept, but more on the hunting uh, por- portion of it. Do you make a chest holster for a 480 Ruger Red Hawk? Uh, we do make a shoulder holster. It will fit that. Yes. Yes. It goes uh, like a sash going across your front, Lou. They do. Yeah. Uh-huh. And you can uh, you can have it with scoped or non scoped. So, but do me a favor, Lou. Never yep. shoot that if I'm within two acres of you. <laughs> That's serious you know, gun. That's serious it's, side it's blast. It's not that bad, and it doesn't have a muzzle brake on it, so it's okay. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I, I love my forty fours, but man, anything over that, they just send, tend to uh, put your bats in the belfry and bang them around there a while. Um, but safety has been the number one concern on that. So when we come back, let's talk a little bit about your first couple of trips to Africa and what you enjoyed about that. Uh, Lou has been to Africa once or twice, maybe maybe three times. Um, so we'll, we'll talk about that, about what it's like to do those kind of trips and what to expect. The, the good old days. I mean, your first trip was in the 50s. Yes. You know, that's an amazing time frame. That's before before uh, the communist revolutions that destroyed Africa. <laughs> so it'll be interesting to, to uh, talk about that. Folks, Philip Naiman, Firing Line Radio Show. We'll be right back after this. Get our podcasts at firinglineradio.com. And if you do subscribe to the podcast, you may be eligible to win a McMillan MC3 rifle stock. We'll talk more about that as we come back. A message from this. Vince, the owner of Bullseye Sport Guns and Ammo in Riverside. If you're a first-time gun owner or thinking about purchasing your first firearm, whether for hunting, home defense, or recreational shooting, it is important to take the next step and become a responsible gun owner. We highly recommend that you attend a certified firearm safety and training class, one that will teach you the basic knowledge, skills, and attitude essentials to the safe and efficient use of your firearm. As a law-abiding citizen, you have the right to self-defense, and with that right, 
becomes an obligation to educate yourself on the laws and safety procedures needed to use a firearm properly. For information about certified firearm training classes, call Bullseye Sport in Riverside at 951-823-0211 or check out their schedule of classes at bullseyesport.com. Because at Bullseye Sport Guns and Ammo, we believe in safety first. 951-823-0211. Pull! Whether you're a gold medalist or new to the sport of shooting, you'll love Prado Olympic Shooting Park in Chino, where Olympians shoot. Prado's shotgun facility is world-class, offering trap, skeet, and five-stand. And the pistol and rifle ranges are safe and enjoyable shooting environments with professionals there to answer all your questions. Are you an experienced pistol shooter with an itch to take your skills to the next level? Discover the sport of practical shooting at one of the monthly events. Prado hosts ISPC shooting events open to the public every first and third Sunday with Prado Running Gun Club, blending accuracy, power, and speed with challenging multiple moving targets, penalty targets, and obstacles. Prado Olympic Shooting Park is a great place to teach your whole family about the safe and effective use of firearms. Bring the whole family for an exciting day at the shooting range. Call Prado Olympic Shooting Park at 909-597-4518. Online at shootprado.com. 909-597-4518. AM 590. The answer. This portion of the firing line is brought to you by Bullseye Sports in Riverside and the Riverside Indoor Shooting Range. All right, you primitive screwheads, listen up. See this? This is my boomstick. He's courageous, honorable, an everyday hero. He's your dad. Father's Day is coming soon, and the question is, what do I get, Dad? Well, this is a hint to my kids. Dad has plenty of ties. So show him the love. Give him the gift of recreation and protection with firearms of his dreams. Pull Dad away from the barbecue and bring him down to Bullseye Sports to put that hunting gun in his hands or take advantage of the layaway plan and lock in a great price for hunting season. Or better yet, give Dad a gift certificate. Let him have some fun picking out his own toys. Gift certificates are available in any amount, even $20,000. If you're not armed for protection or recreation, then shame on you. Head down to Bullseye Sports in Riverside where you need to go for small arms, rifles, shotguns, ammo, accessories, and much more. Check out the website, bullseyesport.com. That's Bullseye Sports Guns and Ammo on Brockton between Arlington and Central and Riverside. 951-823-0211. Bullseye Sport, where the Inland Empire gets their guns and ammo. Check them out, folks. Hey, Philip Naiman, coming back to you here at Firing Line Radio Show. I want to talk to you uh, about life. And I have two gentlemen here, one on, in studio, one on the line, who have had a great life. And we want to share some of these experiences with you. So I'm going to start off with you, Neil. You talked about your first trip to Africa in the mid-50s. Now, Africa in the mid-50s was a whole different continent than Africa is now. We didn't have the roving poachers that were destroying all the animals. And matter of fact, I just saw a story where Four guys died in a shootout in a tiger reserve, you know, poachers trying to, to kill tigers. So um, African wildlife has suffered greatly at the hands of corrupt governments, poachers, and illegal trafficking. The sportsmen have supported African wildlife. The only reason... The only reason there are any animals left in Africa is that there's a financial incentive to keep them there through the sportsmen. Without that, they just 
they machine gun them, sell the parts, and move on. It, it's horrific what's happening there. But, folks, it is not sportsman hunting. Sportsman's hunting is the only reason there are elephants and rhinos and everything else that's, that's still there in Africa. So, let me, after setting that wonderful table, let me pick you up here, Neil. Tell me a little bit about your first trip. Well, my father um, and I went to uh, Africa. How, they, how old were you? I was 18. Okay. We went to Africa uh, hunting. And uh, my father had previously been there and had met a, a gentleman that was the, what we called a white hunter at that time. He was formerly a British colonel in, in India. And uh, that's what he wound up doing. And he was trying to open up new territories. And this was around new Uganda, Tanganyika, uh, Rwanda, Urundi. Those are probably areas that don't even exist today. Yeah, but different names. On yeah. the Kigera River. Anyway, we uh, we went on kind of an experimental safari where that the uh, the... Uh, the white hunter was trying to open up a new territory for hunting places that had never been hunted before. And we literally created a, a raft to take us across the Kigera river into a, an area that had, there had never been a vehicle. So you floated we, vehicles across the river. We, we literally did that. Yes. We were the first vehicles to ever go. And of course we were encountering people that had never seen a white person and had never seen a vehicle. And it was, uh, you know, unbelievable to see their reaction to that. But, you know, that doesn't exist today anymore uh, at all. They all have cell phones. unexplored, yeah. 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 <laughs> um, they have an app for that. Yeah. <laughs> so we were there oh, almost about two and a half months. Oh, wow. that That's a real-time safari. Oh, yeah. That's not a two-week turnaround. No, no. No, those were serious days. And mm. uh, there was about uh, 12 or 14 people in the camp. We had a, a Land Rover and a lorry. And uh, we... Um, we lived off the land. Everything that we ate and everything that we acquired was local, and uh, and uh, mostly Orby or Eland or something would be our dinner. Um, Sounds terrible having yeah. to eat Eland every night. Eland is I, my favorite. That that, was that's the, what I'm saying. That was the best. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah, Oh darn, more Eland prime rib. But that. even in those times, uh, conservation uh, was recognized as being a serious issue there, and. Um, uh, I, I don't remember the amount, but it was significant to get a permit for an elephant or for a lion or for whatever it was at the time, rhino. Uh, but we were very, very careful about that and uh, very disciplined about the way we took things. I recall in one incident uh, that there was an animal, I think it was an eland, that I was entitled to, to shoot one of. And uh, when I did, the bullet passed right through it and killed one next to it. And that became a serious problem for us. Uh, so that became my father's Eland. <laughs> <laughs> happy, happy Father's Day. Um, Lou, how about your first trip? My first trip to Africa was in the early 80s, three decades after Neil's. <clears throat> and uh, I've been back there 22 times. Uh, love love the continent. Love all the countries there. Um with the exception of some of the problem ones like the Sudan. But uh, I've, uh, I've spent some time there as well. I had some great, great trips. Unlike Neil, um, we were a little more modern than he was. But back in the early 80s in Zimbabwe especially, which just after the war, and uh, there was there was no supplies there, no tires, no batteries. So it was uh, it was very unique experience for me then. 
and that's exactly that's when I got hooked on Africa. So I went back to the same with the same safari company for seven straight years, and finally, uh, professional hunter that I hunted with, Paul Webb Martin, good young man, uh, said, "Lou, why don't you try?" some of the other areas in Africa and hunt some of the other animals. And so that's, that's what got it started. Ultimately, uh, I've, I've hunted almost all of Africa. I've taken all of the animals that they have listed in this, in the safari club, uh, list of, of available animals. And, uh, that's includes the big five or the big seven. Now they, they call it from time to time. And so there's a hundred animals on that list. Holy cow! I'm sorry. Let me correct that. There's 86 different species on that list. I've taken a hundred animals, a hundred different species. Some things that they don't have listed is required. And full disclosure, um, I'm not award uh, a Weatherby Award recipient. But I am a World Hunting Award recipient. Oh, that's right. Sorry. And I got I got that award in uh, 2006, and at that time there were 35 people worldwide, all time, that that had ever received that award. And really, what that award is is it re- requires uh, basically hunting all continents, with the exception of Antarctica, six of the seven continents and taking all of the huntable animals off those continents. Right. So it's, it, it involves a lot of travel. I've, I've not spent two and a half months in Africa, but I did spend seven weeks there once. Yeah, we're gonna we're gonna get we're gonna get to that one. I, I always love that story here. Um, we're gonna get to that story about seven weeks in paradise. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Awesome. Okay. Um, Neil, one of the things we did talk about off air, I want to bring up again. Now, as a founder of Safariland, you started this company out here. You have to go nationwide. One of the things that you absolutely love to do and played a big part in that is your pilot. That's right. Tell us about that. Well, ever since I can remember, I wanted to fly and um, could never afford it. And so um, back in the late 50s, um, I wound up buying little airplanes and fixing them up and selling them and so that I could have an airplane. But the, the side benefit of, of being able to be nimble and fly was the ability to carry things that are, that are strategic uh, for what I did. And working with firearms and carrying firearms and carrying ammunition and carrying all those strategic materials that uh, if you show up in airports, you're going to be shuffled off to the side and maybe spend a week trying to get on board. <laughs> right. Um, I could do instantly. And in forming the company, dealing with law enforcement, a lot of what we did, especially after uh, we started playing with armor, and we were the first major armor company in the world, um, and LAPD was our first major company, major sale. Uh, was to go out and demonstrate that armor. As initially, people simply couldn't believe that you could take a piece of fabric that was a quarter inch thick and stop a forty-four Magnum. So I had a um, we call a shooting box, which was a clay box that we would shoot against, and it the clay was the density somewhat of a human body, 
so it gave a react uh, a natural reaction to the to the gun or to the um, impact yeah. impact yeah and uh, we could measure the impact behind the vest which was an important part of uh, the requirement by NIJ that we have a certain back face deformation in clay so you have a 75 or 100 pound box you've got uh, t- hundreds of pounds of armor ammunition and guns you need a bigger plane uh, no, I've got a really nice airplane. Very good. Really good airplane. I always did. <laughs> um, but that was a huge benefit. That and being able to respond to department's requirements for administration. Yeah. And also, in, in many cases, uh, there would be a uh, civil disrest- unrest or uh, riots or whatever, and they would need immediate equipment. Yep. I could always hop on a plane and take whatever they needed right now. Very good. Folks, Philip Neyman, Firingland Radio Show. We'll be right back after this. Are you an expert marksman looking for a clean, safe place to shoot? Or maybe you've never shot a gun but want to learn. Well, the Riverside Indoor Shooting Range is the best place to work on your shooting skills, no matter what your experience level is. With 21,000 square feet of indoor range space, 35 shooting lanes, and an electronic target retrieval system, it means no line breaks and more trigger time. The friendly people at Riverside Indoor Shooting Range can answer all your questions about firearms training, self-defense training, firearm rentals, gunsmithing, archery, and more. And for the ladies, the Riverside chapter of The Well-Armed Woman meets there the second Tuesday of each month for women of all experience levels. Looking for a great holiday gift for the shooting enthusiast in your life? During the month of December, get 10% off a full year's membership or 10% off any gift certificate of $40 or more. Riverside Indoor Shooting Range. For directions and info, log on to RiversideIndoorShootingRange.com. That's RiversideIndoorShootingRange.com. AM590, the answer. This portion of the firing line is brought to you by CCW Safe by Philip Naiman and Cornerstone Christian Wealth Management. Spartans, lay down your weapons. Persians, come and get them. Hey, folks! Welcome back to Firing Line Radio Show. This is Philip Naiman. Hey. Get on our podcast. Go to FiringLineRadio.com. Scroll down. You'll see our podcast there. There's a little button that says subscribe. Subscribe to it because we are giving away the Macmillan MC3 stocks. We have several of them left to go. So if you have a Remington 700, short action or long action, if you're looking for a target style or even their hunting style, which is the legend or the tradition, let me know. Just get on there and subscribe to the podcast, which is free. I will pick a random person to win this. Um, there's only one rule, and that is don't whine if it, you didn't get picked. Because if you whine, then you won't get picked ever. So we're giving them away as randomly as we can. Just just subscribe to the podcast. Join our group on Facebook. And uh, you'll see that we do have winners every couple of weeks. We pull somebody out of the hat. So folks, get involved or you're not going to get a fantastic $350 stock for nothing. That's a good thing. Uh, joining me back here, folks, I have Neil Perkins, Neil Perkins, founder of Safari Land, and I have Lou Misterly, Lou Misterly, the World Hunting Award winner. Did I say it right that time, Lou? You did. Okay. An awesome guy and a longtime friend. And we're just talking about some of the things that these guys have had a chance to go do. Um, Lou, you started off that, or you finished that last segment talking about seven weeks you happened to spend in Africa at one time. Now, I, I, made Neil talk about the fact he was a pilot before that because that comes into play here. So why don't you tell us a little bit about that particular story? Well, you're referring to the story that uh, 
I was bong, was bongo hunting in in the Cameroon, in the Congo area, okay. <clears throat> and uh, well, I'd gone to excuse me, <clears throat> I'd gone to Bangui uh, in route to going in, across the Congo River and uh, hunting with the pygmies for bongo. We had a problem there with our plane. We were flying in a, in a twin Aztec, which is an old plane, and uh, it was having some problems with uh, injectors. So we hung out, We hung around in Bangui for a couple of days. During that time, there was a coup there, and uh, the hotel I was staying in, the manager came up and said, lock your doors, load your gun, but don't let anybody come through the door because we won't be here. So... That was that was interesting getting in there. Finally, after a couple of days, things quieted down. We took off to fly into the hunting territory, flying out over the jungle. The plane <clears throat> plane caught on fire, or at least the injector did. <clears throat> One of the engines was burning. They had two pilots in the plane. They had a pilot and a co-pilot, and the co-pilot was flying the plane under a training condition. The pilot was was flying shotgun and uh, we were we were we were fighting to stay in the air and as as we were coming towards the territory we wanted to hunt come on flying in over the Congo River there was these big tall trees I mean tall a couple hundred feet tall and uh, with just tops nothing on nothing on the uh, on the trunks and as we were coming in, I was looking out the front window. I could see that the plane was probably not going to make it over the trees. And uh, that was <laughs> very scary. Fortunately, we, fortunately, as we went over the trees, we did barely make it. I could read the, read the veins in the leaves of the trees as we went over the top and landed on the dirt strip. They immediately rushed me out of the plane and got the fire out, and uh, I went into I went into camp with the pygmies from there. Unbeknownst to me at that time, uh, the two pilots had worked on those injectors, spent a day or two doing it again, trying to get the plane in operating order. Took off to go back to Bangui and flew that plane into those trees. And it crashed into the Congo River and killed them both. Now, I was stuck there in the Congo with the pygmies and wound up spending 30 days with them there. Wow. Which was uh, as, as much fun as it could possibly be. Is it is it true you made them carry you on their shoulders all through the jungle? Oh, I had to. There's no, there's no way. There's no other way you could get around there these guys are three foot nine and uh it's unbelievable how agile they are they're perfect physical specimens just scaled down models and uh they are great personalities originally the pygmies were not in the jungle they were out in the open plains and they were forced they were forced into the into cover by the bigger tribes and so there they resided but they have great senses of humor, uh, fun people, interesting customs, and uh, so I uh, ultimately they they did find a bongo, but uh, 
I don't know how much of the story you want me to tell, but it's it goes on. It goes on <laughs> three three months in the in the Congo, Cameroon. Yeah, and and uh, next year I think the average height of the pygmies was a foot taller, but we won't get into that. Anyway, yeah, exactly. <laughs> I would never mention that on air. Okay, right. <laughs> Full disclosure again. <laughs> oh, well, let's go back. Um, let me go back here to to kicking on your side. Can you imagine being a pilot flying in, fixing your own injectors, landing on a sandbar off the what? What river was it, Lou? It was the Congo River. The Congo River, and you know duct taping your injectors together and a little bit of spitball. And I mean, the same thing happens up in Alaska though. You get those bush pilots that these guys have to uh, put their stuff together. I saw one guy had a plane was attacked by a bear. So it tore the siding off it. So they duct taped and used a tarp to put the siding back on. So to make it airworthy again and, <laughs> and flew out of there. Right. Yeah. You know, use your tent for, uh, for the side of your plane. It's amazing what these guys have to do because there's really not a lot of choices there. It's true. You know, I'm familiar with the Aztec, and um, that's not a good airplane to have an engine out on. They, they just don't fly with one very well. Can you name one airplane that it is good to have an engine out on? No. Okay. <laughs> no. Exactly right. What are you flying now? I have a Conquest 1. It's a uh, twin-engine uh, prop jet. Very nice. Is that the Redlands or Chino? It's a Chino. Very good. Yeah, I met those guys down there. Nice people. Okay. As a matter of fact, uh, I saw Michael Avenatti's plane over there. The Honda? Yeah, the Honda Jet. Yeah. It got uh, uh, confiscated, so it was great. I took a picture next to it and said, hey, Mike, when are we going flying? <laughs> yes, good taste in airplane. That's really nice, little airplane. <laughs> well, it's great when you don't have to pay for them. That's true. Uh, there you yeah. go, Michael Avenatti. What a creep. Yeah. All right, folks. Let me join you back here. Uh, Philip Naiman, Firing Line Radio Show. If you want to check us out at firinglineradio.com. Neil, I'm going to jump back to you here. Because I want to finish off with with uh, with Lou. So, how did your love of the outdoors and your experiences how did that blend in with your with your business and where you went forward with it? Well, as I mentioned, the uh, the name Safari Land was because at the time my acquaintance with shooting was strictly from the standpoint of uh, hunting and sporting. Um, immediately after I formed the company Safari Land and invented this. Uh, a holster that had uh, great security. Mm -hmm. uh, the direction of the company went to the law enforcement. So the uh, the sporting goods side of it kind of became secondary. We do sell a lot of product into that area, but uh, that is not our focus. And then, so then in the mid '80s, you came up with an idea to kind of demonstrate shooting and shooting sports. Yes. And you guys came up with pretty much the first That's shooting right. team. Yeah, Team Safari Land. Yes. Yeah, there was Bill Rogers and, and Scott Carnahan, who you know, and uh, wonderful shooters. Are hey, all did you get my class. application for that team? I haven't heard back from you. Oh, I don't know about that. I'm not, <laughs> I, I don't run that part. <laughs> I sent in a tape. Hmm, I never heard back. Hmm, wow. What's going on with that? Wow. I'll tell you, those are the guys you would not want to get in a contest with. No. No. No, they're amazing. And, and, Unbelievable. But it's the support for the sport that you guys it have. It is. It's kind of our race team. Uh, we use the technology that comes out of that. Uh, incorporate a lot of that into our our duty gear line. Uh, those guys shoot more ammunition in one day than most people do in 10 years. Right. And so they really can wear out a product in a hurry. So it really is our test bed. And that, that team is still going on. Is uh, Bobby McGee, Lethem? Yeah. Do some of the other names on there? Yeah, yeah. 
So anyway, folks, check them out at uh, Team Safari Land. Uh, they do a lot of local demonstrations. I know at SHOT Show, they were doing some great stuff there, too. Oh, yes, absolutely. And you guys have a big booth and big yes. presence there. Yeah, we do. All right. Folks, Philip Naiman, Firing Line Radio Show. Check us out on our podcast, FiringLineRadio.com. I am pushing those so you can win a McMillan MC3 polymer stock for Remington 700. You're going to want to be a subscriber to be able to get that. We're going to come back here. I'm going to... Have you hunted Alaska, Neil? Yes. Okay. We'll see if you've hunted this part of Alaska here with, with Lou. When we come back after this. Folks, Philip Naiman, FiringLineRadio.com. If you carry a concealed weapon and own a concealed carry permit, you need protection beyond the weapon. My name is Larry Vickers, and I am a retired veteran of U.S. Special Operations, and I now teach law enforcement, civilians, and members of our military in advanced firearm training. I train people to use their firearms in almost any situation, but I can't prepare them for what happens if they are forced to use a gun to save their lives. That's why I use CCW Safe. They offer membership plans for concealed carry permit holders, and if members are involved in a use of force incident, CCW Safe provides expert witnesses, investigators, and the best defense attorneys in the U.S. Yearly plans range from $99 for a single membership to $150 for a dual membership, and special plans are available for law enforcement and military. Members are required to have a valid concealed carry permit and must maintain their permit. Visit ccwsafe.com today. AM 590, the answer. This portion of the firing line is brought to you by Prado Olympic Shooting Park in Chino and Vortex Optics. Vortex, the force of optics. Hold on. What is best in life? To crush your enemies, see them driven before you, and to hear the lamentation of your women. That is good. That is good. Hey, folks, welcome back to Firing Line Radio Show. That is good. Uh, joining me here, I have Neil Perkins. Neil is a founder of Safari Land, and I have Big Lou Misterly, one of my favorite guests here, who's not to say that Neil's not, but Lou's and I have, have a lot of uh, experience together, and I love listening to his stories. Matter of fact, most of the comments I get on the show are like, hey, when are you going to have that guy back on? Uh, well, today, today is when I'm having him back on. So, folks, I want you to listen to what happens when you're screwed, blued, and tattooed in Alaska on an ice floe. So, <laughs> how did that hunt go, Lou? Well, you got to be talking about the polar bear hunt. No doubt. Uh, yeah, that was in the Buford, northern Beaufort Sea in Canada, uh, right, right beside Alaska there. But uh, that was that was uh, interesting hunt. We left we left uh, the last village, which is Tuktiuktuk. And went north on a dog sled, 250 miles, and then 68 miles out to sea on the pack ice. So, how long does it take to go 250 miles on, or actually 320 miles on a dog sled? It takes too many days. It's miserable. <laughs> you can't. You cannot ride in a dog sled comfortably. Those things, when they set you in there and they cover you up with that with that buffalo blanket you look like you're comfortable you're not that that thing is so uncomfortable and it's it's tippy it doesn't stay up on the skis it falls over frequently because the ice is not smooth it's all broken and rough and so thank goodness a good friend of mine from idaho had given me a super duty gun case just prior to, to leaving a soft case 
and I put my rifle in that because it's it wound up sliding across the ice at least ten or fifteen times. <laughs> it, it was a mess getting out there, and it wasn't much fun when we got there. It was you know between fifteen and hundred below zero, wind blowing. We went out on the pack ice. We did camp on what they call a safe ice, and the Inuits are very good at at doing that. I mean, they can travel in a blizzard. It's amazing, their sense of direction. And uh, we camped on what they call a safe ice, which is just off the ocean, maybe uh, from the open ice, maybe a couple hundred yards. And so in that camp, you, you pitch a wall tent, and and in the wall after that you lay a caribou hide down and you put your sleeping bag on top of that and that's how you sleep. <clears throat> it's a, it's very unnerving. You can hear the ocean under the ice. <clears throat> and one at one night the ice cracked, <laughs> and I could I could hear that. And I've got a picture of it. The crack opened up eight or ten inches right beside the tent in this safe ice. And uh, I could hear it booming all the way down, three thousand feet. Boom, boom, boom. So how, how thick I is the ice there? Up. The ice. I, it was the echo of the ice cracking. How how thick is the ice? Well, the ice there is at least say seventeen to twenty inches thick. Okay. And so it's it's plenty safe. And the the Inuits know what they're doing. They're they're not going to camp you on a on an unsafe place. The dumb ones are dead. The dumb ones, they don't go out hunting. <laughs> During the day, you'd go out and hunt on dog sled. It used to be legal to take a plane in and, and hunt, but it's no longer legal. In fact, it's no longer legal to hunt polar bears these days. But you go out on a dog sled and you pitch a six-by-six six wall tent during the day, take a little of the fresh water, melt it, and boil a chicken and that's your lunch and that's it. You spend the day out looking for polar bear tracks. One day we were out there near the edge of the ice, camped, and we'd been following some polar bear tracks, a, a sow and the cub and a big boar. And what'll happen is the big boars will follow the sow and the cub, catch them, kill a cub, and then Within a short time, 48 hours or less, the sow will come into estrus again, right. and he'll breed her. So we went out, to, we're out there camped, and and I was with the, the Inuit's name was James Pokiak. This year he had, he had done a couple of things right. He brought his son, his 20-year-old son Jacob, along as an extra, along with his assistant guide Alvin, and so that gave threw up four of us in camp. And he bought a dog sled called a Big Boggin, which was made out of fiberglass, not wood and, and hide. So that that afternoon, I, I told James, I said, James says, I'm going to walk up, up this open ice a little bit and see if I can find some seals where we can go up and shoot them and use them for bait. I said, well, I'm going to walk down here by the ice and take my trusty 300 Weatherby, and shoot a polar bear. And Alvin says, oh, Lou, if you're going to do that, I'm going to go with you. I'll take my trusty knife and skin that bear. 
So him and I took off, and James took off up current, and we took off for the open open ice. As we're walking out there, there was a big ice heave, and these ice heaves are, are as high as houses, two-story houses. And the ice, the wind in the ice blows them, and they blow up, and the ice breaks and cracks and piles. Walking there, I thought I saw something coming down the ice flow, so I took my binoculars to look at it. I had a pair of Leicas with the rangefinders in them, the original ones, the great big ones you could barely hang on to. And I saw this thing move over the ice, and I said, Alvin, I think I just saw a bear. Of course, he grabbed my binoculars and liked to choke me to death, <laughs> taking them off my neck. Oh, he looks, he said, ooh, big bear. So we took off, took off after the bear, and wearing the, you wore these big, costumes, Santa Claus costumes, with several layers to stay warm. And running in those things is not easy. We finally got down to where the ice, broken ice was, and the bear, before it got to us, had turned and, and headed for the open water. So we ran again towards the open water and got there uh, just about the same time the bear did. Shot at the bear three times with my heart pounding, hit the bear, he fell in the water, the bear swam out to the open ice, 90 yards out, climbed up on an ice floe, and I, I asked Alvin what to do about the bear when he was in the water. He said, I don't know. James was running down <laughs> yelling, shoot, don't shoot, don't shoot. The bear got up on the ice floe, and I shot it, fell in the ocean, wind blowing 50 miles an hour, ice cracking and blowing, and... Uh, the bear fell in the ocean. They took the big bog in. They they went out to it with the rope, tied it wait, up. Wait, 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 wait. Back, back up here. The okay. wind's blowing 50 miles an hour. The right. water's about, what, 20 degrees, 26 degrees, whatever, just, just, just above freezing for salt water, right? Uh, exactly. The wind temperature's well, yeah, minus and 50. And, and right. you just throw out there, oh, they just jumped in a dog sled to paddle 90 yards across open ocean to a dead bear. You just kind of passed over that part. Like, I mean. Well, I'm trying, I'm trying to get the three minutes in. <laughs> in any event, that's exactly what they did. And they used a, a split two by four we used for a ridge pole as a paddle. They got out to the bear and they tied him up and tried to bring him back in and he was. He was sliding under the ice floes, got him back in. We tried to haul him out. Now, this is a 1,700-pound bear. We tried to haul him out of the ocean, the four of us, with the rope. He kept breaking the ice and falling back in the water. We finally cut the rope in lengths, used the ridge pole as a, as a, as a pole to dally a rope, one of the lengths around. And 12 and a half hours later, we got him out of the ocean. <laughs> This bear is still is mounted in my trophy room. He's, he was number two in the world. I'm assuming he's still there in the top ten at least. I, I have seen this bear, and if he's number two, you do not want to meet number one. I mean, was he thir <laughs> 13 feet tall? Yeah, he's 12, 12 four, and uh, well, he was on his tiptoes when I saw him. Yeah, he was he was leaning on his tiptoes. He looked 13 to me. 12 foot four. <laughs> well, yeah, he's pretty close. Unbelievable. Folks, this is Philip Naiman, Firingland Radio Show. That's one of my favorite stories here from Lou Misterly. Lou Misterly, the World Hunting Award winner and a great friend. Um, also want to thank my special guest, Neil Perkins. Neil, founder of Safariland. 
all around great guy. Just love the fact that he's got so many safety devices, saving so many lives in law enforcement. What's the number now? 23, 2400? 2053. 2053 documented saved lives because of his products. Neil, thank you for what you do. Folks, have a great day. We'll see you all next week. Shoot, Felipe. Shoot. When you have to shoot, shoot. Don't talk. The Firing Line Radio Show has been brought to you by Bullseye Sports in Riverside. The Riverside Indoor Shooting Range. CCW Safe. Cutting Edge Bullets. Prado Olympic Shooting Park in Chino. Vortex Optics. Vortex, the force of optics. And by Philip Naiman and Cornerstone Christian Wealth Management. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.